Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Out front next, Trump's courtroom campaign. The former president lashing out as he appeared at his fraud trial in New York. Now he's preparing to take the stand in his own defense. The former Trump White House counsel, Ty Cobb, is out front tonight. And the breaking news, CNN just learning that federal prosecutors have filed a new criminal case against Hunter Biden. We have the details ahead. And Kamala Harris's husband, Doug Emhoff, lashing out, condemning Ivy League University presidents for their testimony about anti-Semitism and genocide. Harvard grad Al Franken is out front. Does he think Harvard's president should resign? And good evening, I'm Erin Burnett. Out front tonight, Trump's court campaign. The former president was in New York to attend his New York fraud trial today. He's been at that one a lot. Once again, seizing the opportunity to make this about the election. This is a political witch hunt. This is meant to influence an election. This is third world country stuff. This is banana republic stuff. I should be right now in Iowa and New Hampshire. South Carolina, I shouldn't be sitting in a courthouse. Trump claiming it's all a distraction, claiming it's preventing him from getting on the campaign trail with his Republican rivals, even though he did choose, choose again, to skip another debate last night uh, where the other candidates all appeared. He has chosen to skip the debates thus far. The truth is this, though. This trial, along with the other four that Trump is facing, are central in his campaign for the White House. He has embraced them and made made them the core of his campaign. His legal strategy and campaign strategy are one and the same. And in the New York fraud case, in fact, I said he'd been there a lot. He's actually been in that courtroom nine times. It's a lot. And as I mentioned, he's about to take the stand in his own defense again. But by calling the trial a witch hunt, by saying it's election interference, that, of course, plays into what many of Trump's supporters believe, right? It's, it's just it's a manna from heaven to his base. They also back Trump in large part because he claims to be one of the most successful businessmen, well, in the country. Nobody's ever been more successful than me. Um, I'm the most successful person ever to run. I'm much richer than almost anybody. I'm really rich, I'll show you that. I'm a great businessman. I've made a fortune, and I want to put that same thinking for the country. The trial in New York threatens that image. And that image, more than anything else, has always defined Trump to Trump, which is why this trial matters so much. It can cripple his ability uh, to do any kind of business and to do business in his state of New York, his home state. And that is huge because for decades, New York was Trump's home turf. It made him. It's where he inked those real estate deals. And I spoke to Andrea Bernstein, a top investigative reporter who covered Trump's finances for over a decade. And listen to what she told me in our documentary that we did about the Trump family business. We were talking about one of Trump's mega New York real estate deals, Trump Soho, which is a hotel condominium high rise. Watch this. When buyers discovered the sales claims had been grossly exaggerated, they sued. A lot of people ask me, well, isn't that just New York real estate? Isn't that just the way it works? And the answer is, there is ordinary real estate selling, and then there's this, which is 
a persistent pattern of saying things that aren't true. A persistent pattern of saying things that aren't true. It's not new. It's gone back for decades. But that is at the very heart of this fraud trial. And I want to start with Bryn Gingras. She's out front live outside the courthouse here in New York. So, Bryn, what more did Trump say today, his ninth day appearing in that court, as he prepares to take the stand? Yeah, Aaron, well, you heard some of that sound that you just played. He called this whole civil trial a witch hunt. That's something we've certainly heard before. He attacked the judge in this case, the New York attorney general who brought this civil fraud trial against him. And if we go back about a month or so, if you remember, Trump was on the stand before, <clears throat> called as a state's witness in this case. And he did some of the sort of same grievances, airing them on the witness stand at that time, even lashing out of the judge as he was sitting right next to him. At one point, if you remember, the judge at that time asked, his attorneys to control the witness. So it's very possible that's exactly what we will see again, sort of a campaign stop on the witness stand uh, when he does take the stand again on Monday. But listen, today he was not on the witness stand. He was behind the defense table as a spectator of this witness who was quite honestly probably one of the best witnesses that the defense has put forward to, uh, you know, further their argument that the the financial statements of condition that were prepared by the Trumps and the other co-defendants, that they weren't out of the ordinary, that they didn't violate any accounting principles and that there wasn't any fraud. Even at one point, the judge chimed in and asked his own question, asking uh, this expert witness, so in your expert opinion, the AG's claims have no merit? And he answered, that is absolutely my opinion, absolutely. Now, listen, we know that the judge in this case has already ruled uh, that there was fraud committed in this case. So it's very likely that this witness is uh, just setting the stage for what we do expect an appeal to happen, since we have certainly heard about that many times throughout this trial. So this witness will be back on the stand tomorrow. But again, the big day is on Monday when the former president takes the stand in his own defense. And this trial coming quickly, to, well, not quickly, but it is coming to an end, yeah. Aaron. Yeah, that's, of course, going to be his last opportunity, um, you know, in this in this trial. Bryn, thank you. Yeah. So Andrea Bernstein's with me now, of course, as I mentioned, the award-winning investigative journalist uh, with ProPublica and NPR. And you just saw her in that clip from our documentary on the Trump family business. Andrea, you've been in the courtroom throughout this trial. It's interesting how Bryn describes uh, the former president today that he was there, not on the stand, right? He was there as a spectator behind the defense table as a spectator. Uh, you were there. How would you describe his demeanor, how he carried himself, obviously, in this, this couple of days before he's on the stand again? Well, it's so interesting because I've covered Trump for so long, and I have never <laughs> seen him the way he is in this courtroom. He's always in command of the room. He was as a real estate developer. He was obviously in The Apprentice, the White House, campaign, post-campaign. But now he just has to sit there. When the bailiff says, all rise, he has to stand and rise. And he has mm -hmm. to sit at the defense table. No one can see him. It's all for those moments where he walks out of the courtroom. He doesn't have to be standing behind that police barricade, but he does. It gives a look. Mm. And he gets to say, I should be in Iowa. He could be in Iowa. There is nothing keeping him here. And I suspect if he thought it was better for his campaign and his future to be in Iowa, that's where he would be. But he chose to be in the New York courtroom. Fascinating. Times, for those say. moments, as you say. Right. Very you can't brief. see him. He's not participating. Right. He's not doing and anything. It's when he right. walks out, those brief moments in front of the It's the campaign. Right. I mean, we had to, today hmm. a uh, manual on generally accepted accounting procedures that the defense witness went through in detail. 
That's what the former president had to sit there and listen to for that moment of press coverage. Literally a lecture on gap accounting. I yes, mean, it is an yes. accounting <laughs> professor. Okay. Um, so now this is the point, and you heard Bryn say this is the most compelling witness uh, that the defense has had so far could lead the way to their case for an appeal. But this was an accounting professor. Um, and, and as the day went on, uh, right. I understand kind of his... His personal point of view in favor of Trump became more and more clear in that courtroom. He, uh, at one point, there was an objection. He fires back. Shame on yourself talking to me like that. You make up allegations. I'm here to tell the truth. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. Right. I've Sounds never seen familiar. <laughs> Looking right at the assistant attorney general when he said that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, I mean, he's this, you know, longtime professor <clears throat> at New York University. He has a lot of credentials. He's won awards. He's served on the editorial boards of accounting magazines. And he seemed like he was going to be a very sober witness. And he started out saying, you know, I just don't find any accounting fraud. But by the end of the day, he began to say, well, you know, such and such is obvious. My nine-year-old granddaughter could understand it. A high school graduate could understand it. Sort of impugning Mm. everybody who didn't see things his way. And, you know, by the end of the day saying, I've never seen as detailed and transparent a financial statement as this one. Well, Well, who does he sound like when he says that? I mean, he sounds like the person who's paying And that also just, I mean, that doesn't even pass a basic smell smell test. All right. Andrea, thank you very much. And Andrea, as I said, has been in that courtroom day in, day out. And I do want to mention Andrea's latest podcast is We Don't Talk About Leonard. It is from ProPublica, as I said, and WNYC's On the Media. So please check that out. And I want to go to Ty Cobb now, the former Trump White House lawyer, so, Ty, you know, you, you, you hear what happened today uh, and, and the way Andrea described it, that Trump as the spectator was sitting there. No one could look at him. He couldn't do anything. Uh, he had to sit there all day and listen to a lecture on gap accounting, all to get in front of that camera uh, for those few moments when he came out and say, well, I should be in Iowa. And now he's going to take the stand on Monday uh, again uh, for, the, for the this is now going to be uh, again because he did testify last month. It was nearly four hours Uh, that he testified last time. At one point, he said, it is a terrible, terrible thing you've done. You believe this political hack back there, and that's unfortunate. So now he goes back on the stand on Monday. How do you think this is going to go, Ty? Well, first of all, Aaron, I would say, um, nice to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Uh, That I'm not sure he will testify. I'd I'd say it's Hmm. still 50-50, because as as the lawyer in me says... You know, why put him on? I mean, he's going to be subject to an eviscerating cross-examination, which won't focus on, you know, what Trump wants to talk about. It'll focus on every lie that he has told, you know, in the 10 years that are relevant under these financial statements. Um, And as we know, I mean, he told several more whoppers on the steps of the court today. uh, There's a lot of material to work with. Um, So I think a talented, skillful, you know, prosecutor, uh, could cross-examine him in a way that would just eviscerate him. Uh, on the other hand, that's the legal. That's the legal side. As as you all were discussing correctly, this really isn't legal anymore because it, it's it's clear that his assets were inflated. It's clear that there are multiple misstatements, misrepresentations, um, and lies on the on the numbers that were provided. Uh, and that's all the statute. The statute doesn't talk about gap accounting. The statute doesn't talk about materiality. The statute just says misrepresentations and omissions, even without a materiality standard. Uh, so that's that's why the judge was able to rule in advance of trial that Trump was Trump was guilty 
uh, of of fraud and and subject to penalties. Um, and this is this is really more about you know the disgorgement, the amount um, of money right. that Trump will have will have to pay. So there there's there is nothing that Trump said <clears throat> on the courthouse steps today. You know, that's true. Other than, you know, I'm, pr- I'm happy to be here because he had a free microphone, which he wouldn't have had in Iowa or he wouldn't have had in New York. Mm-hmm. Well, and then that makes him look like everybody else that's running. Right. Which he obviously doesn't want to do because he could have been at the debate. He could be in Iowa there. He purposely seems, seems to avoid uh, where they are. Uh, but when you talk about how this all comes down to what the amount of disgorgement will be, how much money Trump will have to pay. And of course, whether whether he'd be able to do business again in the way he defines it. Uh, how significant how big do you think that that number could be, given what you've seen thus far? Well, she's asked for $250 million. Uh, I think the evidence, you know, the most compelling evidence on damages so far is that was the evidence that uh, came in that suggested that uh, the Trump Organization had saved $168 million uh, or received the benefit of $168 million that would not have otherwise been entitled to. Uh, because of the uh, uh, documents mm. provided, so I, I think that's I think 168 million dollars is in evidence. I'm not sure what additional arguments will be made to enhance that figure. Um, and then you know the the real risk is of course the the uh, the possibility of losing uh, the ability to do business in New York, uh, which as as we know the Court of Appeals t- today said um, you know they were going to reserve decision on that. Until until they considered the entire appeal, which is yeah. which is the ordinary process, and frankly, the way it should be done, uh, it's being treated by Trump, of course, as a giant victory. But really, it's it's sort of the only way the case could have proceeded. All right, Ty, thank you. My pleasure. Great to be with you. All right, you too. And we do just have some breaking news coming in here. First on CNN, our Evan Perez is learning that federal prosecutors have filed a new criminal case against Hunter Biden. All right, we're just getting this news in now. I want to get straight to Evan. Uh, Evan, obviously a significant development here from what you're learning. Can you tell us more? Well, Aaron, right now we're waiting for the court documents to be unsealed. They're still under seal uh, in federal court, but we know that uh, prosecutors have now uh, filed this new criminal case against the son of the president. Uh, We know that David Weiss, the the special counsel, has been using a grand jury in Los Angeles to gather evidence, to get testimony uh, over the last several weeks, and the anticipation, certainly from the questions that those witnesses were getting uh, when when they did testify, was that a case was imminent, that uh, they were going to bring uh, federal uh, tax charges against Hunter Biden. We, of course, know that uh, prosecutors have been investigating the the president's uh, son for now more than five years, and a lot of it has centered on his uh, failure to file his taxes on time. We know that uh, there was an effort to try to put this entire issue to bed with a plea deal which fell apart spectacularly just a few months ago. And of course, we know that the president now, the the president's son, is also facing gun charges in the state of Delaware, uh, Aaron. All right, so Evan, you've got all that context around it. And Hunter Biden, obviously also under pressure on Capitol Hill from Republicans. He's got that subpoena from the House Oversight Committee. So this all just seems to be ramping up now in it in a significant way obviously now just weeks ahead of uh you know voting beginning uh in the primary process 
Right, exactly. This puts the, the president's son really squarely in the political calendar, Aaron, because now we're looking at a possible trial, a trial in Delaware on those gun charges in the next uh, few months, possibly. We also know, of course, once these uh, we see these charges uh, that we expect to be unsealed in Los Angeles, that he might be fa facing a, a, a second trial uh, in, on those uh, tax charges as well. So that's what it, we are now. he's now going to be dealing with. And of course, as you pointed out, uh, uh, Republicans have have uh, subpoenaed him and he's due to show up to be deposed uh, in the investigation led by House Republicans next week, next Wednesday as a matter of fact. So uh, we don't know whether he's going to show up because he's offered to, to show up, but only if he testifies publicly. There's a bit of a, uh, of a standoff between the two sides on that, Aaron. All right. Well, uh, as we get more information, we're waiting for that to, to unseal. Uh, we'll bring that to everyone. Evan, thank you very much. Breaking that news here. And next, tonight, Israel is claiming that it has taken out a number of Hamas leaders. We have terrifying new video tonight of gunfire erupting, meantime, at a refugee camp. And we are live in Israel. Plus, former Democratic Senator Al Franken on Trump's dictator comments. And why the expelled former Congressman George Santos will not go away. Plus, chilling details emerging tonight. We are learning more about the former professor behind that mass shooting in Las Vegas. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs, so you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Tonight, Hamas leaders dead, according to the IDF. They have released an image showing five Hamas uh, officials, as they say, who are, were, quote, eliminated in the tunnel where they were hiding. Now, this is according to the IDF today, and they've identified each of the individuals they say that were killed. Israel also announcing two other senior Hamas officials were killed in another attack on an intelligence command center. The leader of Hamas in Gaza, Yehaz Sinwar, is still free tonight, though. His whereabouts, right now unknown comes as violence gripped a refugee camp in northern Gaza. This is chilling new video just into CNN, so you can take a look at this. Just relentless gunfire. These are the people in the refugee camp, everyone just running. The gunfire just continues again and again and again. They flee for safety and shelter. Alex Marquardt is on the ground out front tonight with more. 
This video of Hamas fighting against Israeli troops, which was released by the militant group, shows not only how intense the battles are, but is a propaganda message from Hamas that they are still fiercely resisting two months into this war. Israel's stated goal of eradicating Hamas has driven Israeli troops straight into Khan Yunus, where they believe the most senior Hamas leaders may be, including Hamas's top official in Gaza, Yahya Sinwar, who remains on the battlefield. Mohammed Daif, the shadowy head of Hamas's military wing, is also believed to still be alive. Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu claims Israeli forces surrounded Sinwar's Khan Yunus home, though the IDF admits they believe he's hiding out underground. Two months after Hamas carried out the deadliest attack in Israel's history, the response has led to a colossal humanitarian catastrophe. Experts and officials say Hamas has been degraded, but Israel still has a long way to go to achieve its goals. What the IDF has been tasked with is disabling Hamas as a military threat to Israel's people by killing terrorists, by destroying infrastructure, and by eventually getting to the leadership of, of Hamas. That effort is still very much underway. The IDF released this photo of leaders of Hamas's northern Gaza brigade, circling five commanders that the IDF says it killed in a tunnel. CNN reached out to Hamas for comment. Israel claims to have killed other senior and mid-level commanders, as well as several thousand rank-and-file militants, which is just a fraction of what the IDF estimates is 30,000 fighters. I think there are there have been some successes, but my point is there's going to still be a lot more ground combat to come. And I think you'll see over the coming weeks more precision targeting going after Hamas leaders as they, you know, uh, show themselves. In the next month or so, U.S. officials say Israel is expected to lower the intensity of its operations, which have killed thousands of civilians, so many of them children, and displaced more than 80 percent of Gaza's population. Israel hears the international pressure and global calls for a ceasefire, but insists there is still much more of Hamas to root out before the diplomacy starts. We're getting to a tipping point where the major question will no longer be how many people we kill, It'll be what happens in Gaza so that the situation there becomes different and nothing like Hamas can grow again to be a military threat against Israel. And Aaron, also in Gaza, today we saw some pretty stark images on, on social media of dozens of Palestinian men who had been detained by Israeli forces. The images and video uh, show them stripped uh, to their underwear, uh, sitting on the ground, sometimes kneeling, sometimes blindfolded, uh, sometimes in the back of a truck. It is unclear when these images were taken or who exactly these men are, how many of them are militants. Uh, if any, uh, CNN has geolocated some of the images to Bit Lahia, which is in the northern part of the Gaza Strip. But we are told by a number of different sources that at least several of these men have no ties uh, to militant organizations, to Hamas. The editor-in-chief of a news organization called New Arab said uh, that, they, that he spotted the uh, director of their Gaza bureau uh, in one of the images. We at CNN spoke with uh, a man in the United States who recognized uh, his brother and a cousin in the images saying they're just a shopkeeper and work in construction. Uh, Aaron, we did ask the IDF for comment. Uh, they did not get back to us, but uh, the main spokesman for the IDF, Daniel Hagari, uh, said that generally they do check who has ties to Hamas and who does not. He said that we arrest them all and question them. So lots of questions still for the IDF, Aaron. Uh, absolutely, and those images, um, of course, are, those are disturbing. All right, Alex, thank you very much in Tel Aviv.
Well, next, the husband of Vice President Harris slamming the presidents of MIT, the University of Pennsylvania, and Harvard over their comments on anti-Semitism. The former Democratic Senator Al Franken, he went to Harvard. He's next. Plus, was the wife of Ukraine's spy chief poisoned through her food? Remember, we were talking to you uh, uh, about Budanova. This is one of the leading theories tonight. His fingers are pointed directly at Russia. There's a special report ahead. Okay, new just a little bit ago, the second gentleman, Doug Emhoff, slamming the presidents of Harvard, MIT, and the University of Pennsylvania. Here he is. We've seen the presidents of some of our most elite universities literally unable to denounce calling for the genocide of Jews as anti-Semitic. That lack of moral clarity is simply unacceptable. All right, his comments coming as those leaders have faced very loud calls for either resigning or being fired after their widely criticized testimony on Capitol Hill. In fact, the chair of the UPenn Board of Trustees is expected to talk to President Liz McGill as soon as tonight or tomorrow about stepping down after she struggled repeatedly to say that calls for genocide against Jews violated the school's code of conduct. Specifically calling for the genocide of Jews does that constitute bullying or harassment? If it is directed and severe or pervasive, it is harassment. So the answer is yes. It is a context-dependent decision, Congresswoman. Does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Penn's code of conduct when it comes to bullying and harassment? Yes or no? It can be harassment. The answer is yes. Okay, the presidents of MIT and Harvard also under fire for exchanges like this. Yes or no? Calling for the genocide of Jews does have, not constitute bullying and harassment? I have not heard calling for the genocide for Jews on our campus. But you've heard chants for intifada. I've heard chants, which can be anti-Semitic depending on the context. Calling for the genocide of Jews violates Harvard code of conduct, correct? Again, it depends on the context. All right, out front now, the former Democratic Senator Al Franken. Senator, there's so much I want to talk to you about, but obviously uh, this, this has become a storm. So um, you're a Harvard graduate. Mm -hmm. You're also Jewish. Uh, so you, you, you look at this from two different perspectives, very relevant to what they're talking about. Do you think that the president of Harvard, as well as the presidents of, of MIT and UPenn, should resign or be fired over what we heard? I don't, I don't know about that. Uh, I know that they didn't, I believe in free speech because I'm a comedian too. Yeah, and that, yeah. but, um, you know, if you're calling for the genocide of entire people, I think that requires disciplinary action. There are a lot of people in this country, Palestinians and Jews who are afraid. Yes. And, um, calling for genocide now intifada maybe i think students at harvard mit and penn may see know, that differently uh, no they they i think they know what intifada is and that is calling for the killing of civilians and they've had some intifadas and that's what they what mm -hmm. they do so i think they know what that is and that yes. calls for disciplinary action so, so, you know, it's interesting, the context here, and we'll see what happens in these cases. Um, Ross Stevens is a UPenn donor, $100 million donor. Mm -hmm. He's come out and said, I'm going to pull all the money if you don't fire the president of UPenn. 
So then that adds another thing in. Do you do, do you do yep. something like that because you've got someone with a lot of money saying do it or else and basically, uh, you know, they've got the gun to your head? He puts uh, her in, in a funny position. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I mean <laughs> and, and this the board, is tough, right? And the I mean, board, uh, too. I mean, the, the board members, uh, other board members, yeah, that, that puts them in, in, him saying that puts them in an odd position. So is it, I mean, and I, I mean, I know who knows how you, but it is tough. I mean, it's almost like, okay, do you do, you do what a big donor wants to do? Or do you say that no, because we're not going to do, we're not going to be at the bidding of big donors. We're going to do what we want and we try to try to chart your the own course. The donor could have way. kept that, could have told other people without announcing that. Right. Kept yeah. it private. Yes, because then you put them in, in the position of, oh, I see big donors, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, call the shots there. And you don't not, want that. Right. Not what's right or wrong. Right. Yeah. Well, we're going to see how this is going to play out. I mean, because all of these layers, obviously, are, are so important. Um, okay. As I said, a lot I want to talk to you about. So Trump comes out this week. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, he's, he's vowed to seek retribution against his rivals. He's anybody right. who's, who he believes has persecuted him, on and on and on. So right. uh, if he becomes president again. So he's on with Sean Hannity this week. And they have this exchange uh, during their town hall. Let me play it. Under no circumstances, you are promising America tonight. You would never abuse power as retribution against anybody. Except for day one. Except for? He's going crazy. Except for day one. Meaning? I want to close the border and I want to drill, drill, drill. That's not not retribution. I'm going to be, I'm going to be, you know, he keeps, (laughs) we love this guy. He says, you're not going to be a dictator, are you? I said, no, 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 other than day one. We're closing the border. And we're drilling, drilling, drilling. After that, I'm not a dictator. Okay, so this was a, this went on for five minutes. All right, Sean repeatedly tries to get him to just answer the question, um, and he and he refused to actually uh, answer the question directly. Um, <laughs> well, he answered the question. He said on just day one, he was joking. He wasn't, I suppose, but he wasn't. I mean, you're but a comedian, he, so judge it by that. <laughs> what was he? I mean, yeah. well, when he said, "I will." Uh, seek revenge against my uh, people who, uh, convi- or who who uh, convicted. I already convicted him. Who charged me? And and mm-hmm. uh, that's the end of rule of law, right? Mm-hmm. What's democracy about if not the rule of law? So he's already said that he will be an autocrat, and he, you know, has said he go will go root out the vermin in our country. He. He, there's no question that this guy, and that is what this election in a large part is going to be about. Do we descend back in, back into, do we send into a, an autocracy? So, um, you know, you would bet uh, with uh, Senator Lindsey Graham, uh, that 20 bucks, you said that Biden would win. He said that Trump would win. He supported Trump. Yeah, right? I told, so like, I, yeah. I told Lindsey then that the, guy who actually wins the Electoral College is the winner. And that's why I couldn't understand why he still backs Trump. Do you still have the, um, have the confidence that Trump will win? When you, I mean, I'm sorry, that Biden will win when you look at Biden's approval polls, which, I mean, look, I understand. It's a year out. It's a, it's a year out. I mean, it's 37%. That's the lowest it's been. Um, but... People will look at his accomplishments. It's a year out. Mm-hmm. 
Um, he passed the biggest infrastructure bill. Remember, Trump was, I'm a builder, and he, every week was infrastructure week, and we couldn't. Got waylaid, yeah. Yeah, uh, that never happened under him. He, biggest investment in climate. Um, I, I think when we get close to the election, this, this autocracy mm-hmm. issue will be an enormous issue for Americans. And you know, also they'll look at, a, at a, this, yeah. the court that he appointed and the threat of him appointing more people like that. Yeah. I, I, I think this is going to be a very close election. Um, all right, I got to ask you about George Santos. So he's been parodedly, parodied, parodied, I'm sorry, repeatedly on your former home, Saturday Night Live. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was a skit last weekend after he got expelled. Here it is. It seems to me that I live my life like an evil forest gum. I'm the guy who lied even too much for Donald Trump. And you all got to laugh at me and I say, lucky you. Um, okay, uh, guy's got a good voice. Okay, now he's making, uh, he's got, he was making, charging 250 bucks for every one of his little cameos on Cameo. Now it's 350 bucks. We understand six figures he's making. Well, he's going to have a lot of defense costs. Because he committed a number of crimes, mm-hmm. so um, and I guess while he's now it's the time to make some money, I, I guess for him. But the main thing about this, I like to say, they did the right thing, obviously. But um, this is all they've accomplished. If you think about what hmm. the Republican House has done, they've got they took 15 ballots to elect a speaker. Then they got rid of that speaker when he voted for a CR. Yep. And now, uh, and that's it. That's it. And now they're they're threatening to hold up aid to Israel and to Ukraine over a border uh, over a, a bill that would allow uh, separating children from. Uh, from their parents again, in, in immigrant children. I yeah. mean, that's. Um, I think that's what this, the Santos thing highlights is that they've done nothing, hmm. nothing. That's an interesting way of putting it. All right. Well, thank you very much, Senator. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Senator Franken. Good to see you. And next, a lead Russia investigative journalist testifies that he is now wanted by Moscow. Law enforcement agencies advise me against my return from the United States to Austria, where I live. The man you just heard, Krzysztof Grozev, is next. Plus, breaking news, police just revealing the man responsible for the mass shooting at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, had a target list. And we have uh, the details on that breaking news coming up. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, New friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. Tonight, poisoned by contaminated food. So that is now one of the theories being explored following the poisoning of the wife of the Ukrainian top's spy chief according to a Ukrainian news outlet. 
Mariana Budinova is now in stable condition, according to Ukraine, after a source had said she tested positive for very high levels of both arsenic and mercury. The investigation into her poisoning remains ongoing. Fingers, though, of course, are pointing at Putin and Russia, which obviously is a very long history of poisoning its enemies at Russia and in Russia and abroad. Out front now, Crystal Grozev, the lead Russia investigator for Bellingcat. He's on Russia's wanted list for his work, including uncovering the men who poisoned top Putin critic Alexei Navalny, who, of course, uh, is, is, is suffering uh, in confinement now. So um, you've begun your own investigation into Budinova, uh, to what happened here. Um, where does this stand uh, right now? And obviously, when I talked to the foreign minister last week of Ukraine, and he was saying, well, I'm not going to give you an official blame on Russia, right. but when you look at their patterns and how they behave, of course it would seem uh, that, that that is what could have happened here. Of course. I just want to make sure that uh, it's clear this investigation is not a Bellingcat investigation. It's an investigation by a joint investigative team of journalists from The Insider and Spiegel. Mm-hmm. But that said, we are looking at um, everything we can find about what happened to uh, Ms. Podanova. And we do see similarities between what happened to her and what happened to other victims of poisonings by Russian intelligence operatives. We see presence of arsenic, and uh, strange as it may sound, we have seen before in incidents that we're currently investigating for another uh, major investigation that will be published in a, in a month or so, that Russians, Russia's military intelligence did use arsenic poisoning to uh, probably intimidate, not to assassinate, but to intimidate intelligence officers of another country. So this appears to fall Mm. in line with what Russia is doing. Again, whether this was an attempt to assassinate uh, Mariana Budanova or just create confusion, um, make a psychological um, and of course, attack. her husband being the top spy course, chief, you know, your poison be, sends a message for it, sure. It sends a message. What we also have seen is that um, in the last year alone, we have uh, had at least four Russian journalists who have been uh, poisoned. Um, <laughs> none of them lethally. Uh, all of them apparently with the intent to intimidate them from their work. All of them are women, by the way. And uh, it's, at least in one of the cases, uh, the woman who was poisoned was um Involved, she had, the, she had a romantic relationship with um, a leading opposition figure. And it, it again, mm. strikes very similar to what we are seeing here. Through poisoning a woman, they're trying to send a message maybe to their, their boyfriend or to husband. To a man, yeah. yeah. I mean, it, it is unbelievable. And as you point out, I mean, you know, there's other cases. I know, you know, um, former leader of Georgia, they'll talk about high levels and arsenic. I mean, you know, people, the, the arsenic keeps coming up <laughs> it, it does, <laughs> again yes. and again. Um, so you testified before the Senate Intelligence Committee and, and, and it, uh, on all of these, on the, these issues. And I want to play some more of what you said, Christo. Last Christmas, I found myself on Russia's most wanted list with a succinct explanation of my crime. Wanted for a crime without specifics, depriving me of any opportunity for a defense. Just a month later, law enforcement agencies advised me against my return from the United States to Austria, where I live, citing a clear and present danger posed by clandestine Russian intelligence operation targeting both me and my colleague Roman. I discovered that Russian intelligence officers had surveilled and tailed Roman and me for nearly two years, monitoring all of our movements and awaiting the opportune moment to strike. It tailed you into buildings. I mean, just the incredible level of invasiveness and personalness on all of this. Um, you know that your your life has been at risk. You continued, of course, with your work, but it has upended your life, your entire life, your family. Um, what is the latest that you can tell us about this investigation? Well, again, um, I can tell you that it's going to be um, made public in court very soon. Um, 
I, I only know about 10% of what the investigators, the official investigators have found. Wow. Because I'm supposed to not know, supposed to be an unbiased witness when I'm testifying in court. But even the 10% is extremely scary. What it does include is evidence that um, law enforcement agencies of certain countries were cooperating with the Russians and selling them data. Airline uh, agencies were selling data. And uh, this is scary because it, it seems that it's so easy to buy the loyalty of uh, uh, of, of Russian of, of Russian intelligence operatives, uh, operatives, and they have a lot of money. So that is what is the takeaway from what I've seen so far. Yeah, I know, it's terrifying. And of course, uh, you know, we'll look forward to hearing more of that 90%. And I can only imagine because as you point out, the 10% is frightening. Yeah. Christo, thank you very much as he continues those investigations. Uh, breaking news next. Police say the gunman behind the mass shooting at the University of Nevada, Las Vegas, also sent suspicious letters to university staff. There may have been a target list, and we have more breaking details on that next. Breaking news, disturbing new details about the former professor responsible for the mass shooting at UNLV, in which three people were killed. Police are just revealing that Anthony Polito had a target list and he mailed 22 letters to other university personnel and at least one contained a white powdery substance. Lucy Kafanov is out front with the latest details. We have three gunshot victims. <laughs> UNLV reeling from a campus shooting Wednesday that claimed the lives of three people, all faculty members, including 64-year-old Professor Jerry Chang and 39-year-old Assistant Professor Patricia Navarro-Velez. Another victim, a visiting professor, now recovering from a gunshot wound. Law enforcement released video of the moments before police shot the gunman, 67-year-old Anthony Polito. Officers from both UNLV and LVMPD arrived and heard shooting coming from inside the beam hall and went in immediately, and I stress without hesitation, to neutralize the threat. Police saying the gunman was shot multiple times just minutes after he began shooting on multiple floors of a UNLV campus building. Polito was armed with a Taurus 9mm handgun. He had brought 11 magazines to the scene with him. The gun, according to law enforcement, was legally purchased by Polito in 2022. He described himself online as a semi-retired university professor who taught in Georgia and North Carolina until 2017. He also taught classes at Roseman University in Henderson, Nevada, until June 30th, 2022. Law enforcement is still trying to understand his motive for the shootings. The suspect had a list of people he was seeking on a university campus. We know he applied numerous times for a job with several Nevada higher education institutions and was denied each time. His connection to Las Vegas and his online profile shows an unorthodox approach to teaching, including conspiracy theories he claims to have solved, like the mystery of the Zodiac Killer and the disappearance of Malaysia Airlines Flight 370, and multiple references to Las Vegas, including dozens of links on his personal website, with a reference to, quote, making more than two dozen trips to Vegas over the last 15 years. Polito's Rate My Professor page for East Carolina University had mostly positive ratings before the shootings, but also multiple references to a, quote, unconventional teaching style, focusing largely on personal anecdotes. Posts dating back to 2014 and 2009 saying, he's great, we spent over two months just talking about Vegas, and he loves to go to Las Vegas. On his website, Polito brags about his education, which he says includes a master's from Duke and a PhD from the University of Georgia. He even claims he was a member of the High IQ Society Mensa. 
Police also revealing tonight when they searched Anthony Polito's residence, they found a chair with an arrow pointing downwards towards some sort of a last will and testament document. They also found several computers and hard drives as well as ammunition matching the same kind of ammunition that they found in the scene right here, Aaron. All right, Lucy, thank you very much from Las Vegas tonight. And next, a look at CNN's heroes who are doing simply extraordinary things. Finally, CNN shining a light on 10 extraordinary people to get back to their communities. Anderson Cooper and Laura Coates will host CNN Heroes, an all-star tribute. We'll be joined by celebrity guests to reveal the hero of the year this Sunday at 8, only on CNN. Thanks so much for joining us. Anderson starts now. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.